Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to 2 Timothy and chapter 2 and verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 21 and particularly uh, the thought, the words, a vessel unto honour, ready, ready for the Lord to use or meet for the Master's use. Continuing on in the uh, theme of the vessels in Scripture We come this evening to one that I feel greatly to need the word that is before us here. It is a vital, a vital word. God's people are likened unto vessels and vessels that are used. If we wanted to carry something in our homes. If we wanted to do something out in the garden and we had a bucket, a vessel, and we were intending to carry soil in it or manure or something like that, it wouldn't matter whether that bucket was dirty. It wouldn't, it wouldn't affect the use that we were intending to use it for. But what if we wanted to use it for something that we are going to drink from or carry something that we wanted it to be pure? We didn't want it to be marred and dirtied. If we wanted to carry drinking water in it, if we want to use it as a bucket to carry newly cleaned washing out of the washing line, If the bucket was dirty first, we would have to prepare it. We'd have to clean it. We'd have to make sure it was very, very clean. Otherwise, it would be no use whatsoever for that pure use. By nature, we are like those dirty and filthy buckets. It can be used for many things of earth. But when the Lord would use us for a holy use, use us for the things of God, the precious things of God, for showing forth his praise, this people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. Or to bring the word of God, to administer it, and to minister to the people of God. A dirty, unsanctified, carnal, worldly, ungodly vessel is no fit vessel to bring such pure truths and to be used for a holy use. 
And so the word that is before us here, a vessel unto honour. Now I want to notice a few more points by way of a lead up to the text. In verse 17, we are given examples of two characters, two characters in the church, and they are dishonourable characters. They were profane, ungodly, vain babblers, and they are named as Hymenius and Philetus. How could such be used in the church? What good would they be in the church? We have in verse 19, and nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his in his church and it may be those that are his those that they are not cast away they are not the ungodly they are his the Lord has called them he has quickened them by grace he's given them hearing ears he's given them a new nature but they have still an old nature, they still have an evil heart, they still have iniquity. And the Lord knows them. He can look on his church, and he does look on his church, and he may see two people, and they're doing the same things, wrong things, sinful things. But one of them hasn't been called by grace at all and the other one has. One will heed exhortation. One has a new nature that will listen. The other one doesn't feel the need of any instruction. They're quite happy to go on in a sinful and a wrong way. And so that's why in verse 19 we have and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We have that commanding to separate, separate from iniquity. Sin, known sin, open ways of sin. Then we have in verse 20 an illustration, another one. A great house. A great house and the observation is that in that house there are different types of vessels. Some of gold and silver, some of wood and of earth, some to honour and some to dishonour. 
might say a true picture of a natural house. Our houses are like that. Vessels, differing vessels like that. But when we think about it in the two ways that are set before us in Scripture, one is the house as the church of God. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, he says in chapter uh, 2, he says that in, in verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy in his first epistle, and in chapter 3, then he says this, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the church of God, and thinking of what has already been said, of those that were saying that the resurrection is past, Hymenius and Philetus, in the church... A great house, and the church of God is a great house. The church is to deal with those vessels that are not unto honour. Part of the, the sad state of many of the churches today is that there are those that do come into the church of God and they start to introduce error, but no one stands up and questions. No one is approved. We read that there must needs be heresies among you that they that are approved may be made manifest. But sadly, error is set forth and no one stands up and no one challenges it. It's drunk into and it's gone on. In the Revelation, there's two churches that were reproved in those seven letters. One was reproved for having those in their membership that held error. And the other was reproved that not only did they hold it, but they taught it. And if there are those in a membership, even if they are not yet teaching it, but they're holding it, it is a danger to that church. It is those vessels that are not unto honour. It's a weakness in that church. The other way of looking at the house is an individual believer. In Hebrews 3 and verse 6, we, or verse 5, we read of Moses... Verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. 
And then there follows those warnings based upon the children of Israel in the wilderness who grieved the Holy Spirit, who rebelled against the Lord. And so in this verse 20, the illustration is speaking of cleansing out those vessels that are not to honour. Those things in the church, those things in our hearts, in our lives, the old nature where we are walking, not after the spirit, but after the flesh. To be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so the people of God are to be a vessel of a vessel that is unto honour. I want to consider five points regarding this vessel. The first is a vessel that is exhorted a vessel that is exhorted some people are very nervous about speaking of exhortation but the word of God is very very clear that where there is the new birth where spiritual life has been given People of God are to be exhorted and they are to seek of the Lord grace to obey that exhortation and to walk in those ways. Great will be the opposition of our old nature. The people of God are not to be of those that just drift along and whatever is said in the word, well, it doesn't affect them. Never change their pattern of life, pattern of thoughts or ways. That is not to be the people of God. And so just in this passage, rather than looking right through the word of God, we have enough just in the lead up to our text to see very clearly how the apostle exhorts here as he writes to Timothy as he writes to his son in the faith, as he writes to a believer, and remember Timothy is to teach others and to teach those that will teach others as well. So it is a passing on of that instruction. In verse 14, we have the exhortation to Strive not, and particularly strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. There's a clear exhortation. A servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, as we have in verse 24. Then we have in verse 15, study. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. The Bereans, they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so, and the people of God, especially ministers, but the people of God are to study, study the word and study how that particularly applies to ourselves. Then in verse 16, the exhortation is to shun, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So a very distinct action of exhortation. And you find those that are speaking empty, empty things, babblings. They're not profitable, they're vain. Just shun it, pass it by. Don't get into, as it were, even an argument with it. In verse 19, which you've already partially covered, the exhortation, depart. Depart from iniquity. Those of us that name the name of Christ, doesn't say let some that nameth the name of Christ, or let just ministers, but let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, aggravated sin against light and against knowledge. Then we have the text, purge. If a man therefore purge himself from these, you think if we were to have a house and it has got things in it that were wrong, Say if we were told that something that we had bought was harmful, maybe uh, some things in the in the rooms, some product that we bought was got something harmful in it, we'd want to purge the house of it. We'd go from room to room. Maybe it was a deodorant, or maybe it'd be a cleaning thing. And, and you'd want to get rid of it. You'd purge it out of the house so there's nothing, nothing left at all. And then we have in verse 23 the exhortation to avoid. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strives. Know what it is when you see something you want to avoid. You see a blockage in a road. There's a side road you can take. You avoid it. You turn away from it. You see someone yelling and cursing and angry. You avoid them. And here, foolish Unlearned questions. Those that are, are just really baiting and asking questions, they really don't want to know the answer. They're just making a mockery of the things of God. Many of us that have worked in the secular workplace, we've come across those that will bring questions in that way. 
And each one of these things, they are exhortations. So in our text, a vessel unto honour, but it is a vessel that is exhorted. There is a word of scripture that is spoken to us and that there is an action that is joined with it. Something that we should do. Something that we should avoid. Something that would change our lives. The second thing, a vessel unto honour. This is the word of our text here. He shall be a vessel unto honour. Unto honour. Something that God will not be ashamed of, the church of God will not be ashamed of, but will actually be honourable and to the glory of God. Not like the ten spies that brought back an ill report of the land, but like Joshua and Caleb who followed the Lord fully. A vessel that even the world would look at and they'd say like they said about Daniel that we can find nothing against this man save concerning his God. Our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and they came to take him, came to trip him up and those that were sent they came back to the scribes and the Pharisees and they said why have you not taken him they said never man spake like this man they couldn't resist the grace that was poured into his lips how he spake and how he acted the same with Stephen in all that he spoke before he was killed as a martyr A vessel unto honour glorifies the name of the Lord. It magnifies the church of God. It is the opposite of those by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. It is vital that it be so not just in honour before men but before God. May we be a vessel that is unto honour, that is good to be in that house, to have pride of place in that house, and not to be one that it would be a shame to be found there. I know as the people of God we we often feel like Ruth did. She said, Though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. That's how she felt. But all the men of her city, and Boaz, he said, that she was a virtuous woman in all that she'd done. 
And may we be the same. The third thing is a vessel that is sanctified or set apart. The apostle, when he writes to the uh, Corinthians, his first epistle to them, and chapter 6, he says in verse 11, and well, going back before then, he speaks of those that were very much dishonour. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Washed, washed by the water of the word of God, Sanctified, set apart for the Master's use. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in that uh, beautiful likeness to the church and the Lord and a husband and a wife in Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify it, or sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. A picture of a church that is what she is by the grace of God and by God's work upon her, changing what she once was and by the grace of God being a vessel that is now an honourable vessel because of that sanctifying work of her God upon her. And it's through the word, through the word like this one we have before us, through this passage here, that the Lord sanctifies his people, teaches them what is acceptable and what is right, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, what is pleasing to him, and what kind of a vessel he will use. And so I want to think then in the fourth place, a vessel for the master's use. Our text says, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use. Or looking at the original, easily used, useful, profitable, 
suitable, meet for the master's use, like the illustration I've used. If you're looking for a container uh, and, and you had a use in mind, something you wanted to use it for, and you look at this one, is that suitable? Is that me? Can I easily use that? No, I've got to spend several hours scrubbing it and cleaning it. Is this one suitable? Is that one right? Is it clean? Is it going to mar what I'm going to put in it? A vessel meet for the master's use. There's one word that comes several times here. I overlooked it in the last point regarding, or the point concerning honour. And that's that word unto, a vessel unto honour. That is, the Lord has a aim in view that that vessel, that that one he has called, he suffered, bled and died for, he is working to an end in view that that vessel shall be unto honour. This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise because they are what they are by my grace. They are monuments of grace. And so we have for the Master's use, the Lord knows the use that he is to use his people for. They are being prepared for a place in heaven to be with the Lord. Be ye holy as I am holy. And no, without holiness no man shall see the Lord. They are being prepared for that, for that place. They prepared people for a prepared place. And whether to bring the word, to be salt, to be light, to be a use in the word, in, in, in the world, the Lord has a use for his people. Now some people may collect pots and vessels and just look at them. But generally we have them and we have a use for them. A reason why they're there and why we bought them and why we've uh, spent time in cleaning them. You wouldn't think of going outside and seeing someone busily spending hours cleaning a vessel and say, what are you doing that for? Well, I don't know. Just thought it'd be nice to be clean. Haven't you got any use for it? Have you not got something in view, in mind, why you're cleaning it, why you're doing this to it? Well, the vessel here is for the master's use. I hope it is that we turn some of these things into prayer. You know, Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. Saul of Tarsus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It seemed a, an automatic reaction when the Lord would call him that there must be a purpose. Now, if we had our children, or if we had a worker in the field, if you called him from across the field, you said, come here, and you came, he came, and then you just went about your business, you said, well, why did you call me? 
Did not you want me to do something? Is there not a, a work to be done? And with the Lord's people, the Lord has a purpose for them, a reason, that which you use them for. Really every, every member of a church, they should be mindful of the talents God has given them, the gifts that God has given them, the abilities that the Lord has given them, all differing ones, but to seek that they might be used for the honour and glory of God and that those things that greatly undermine our usefulness and when we are worldly and carnally minded, when we have our affections on things on the earth, when our appetite is for them, then we're not ready for the Lord's use. Remember years ago, going into the common room and the workers there that were on the shop floor and they were speaking all sorts of just light and trifling things and I drank into their spirit, joined along with them and then they started to take the Lord's name in vain and they started to be saying things that I knew I should take action, I should speak regarding these things. But I'd so drunk into their light and trifling spirit that I wasn't ready, I couldn't speak. And, and the time, the, the moment of speaking was gone and was past. And I always remember it. And realise I let myself get into a position where I was no use to bear any witness for the Lord at all. And there's been other times in my life that that has been the case. A vessel then for the master's use or meat for the use. Easily used. That is it doesn't need a lot of time and effort, it is already right ready. Where there's suddenly a need, there is that vessel. It can be used straight away. It doesn't have to have a lot of work done on it first. That work the Lord is doing, sanctifying, cleansing you might say, well, I don't know what the Lord would have me to do. But the Lord is doing a preparation work. And that's what I want to notice in the fifth place because we have in our text not only meat for the master's use but and prepared unto every good work. A vessel that is prepared prepared vessel Joseph did not go straight from his father to being next unto Pharaoh the Lord gave him the dreams and then he went through all the suffering in the pit the false accusations the imprisonment and being forgotten and then he was brought next to Pharaoh 
Queen Esther, it was through Vashti being rejected and she was brought into the kingdom. And the time that she was brought to be queen, it was not evident why she was actually to be in that position and to be able to speak for her people. But then suddenly it was evident and Mordecai, he says, who knoweth but that thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You've had the preparation, not another. And who knoweth, this is the work that you are to do. Arise and do it. That's what was said with Ezra. When there was the putting away of the strange wives, the dealing with the sins of Israel when they'd been brought back from Babylon Babylon and captivity, they said, Arise and do it. This matter belongeth unto thee. Rise and do it, and we will be with thee. There are those that the Lord has appointed in that way. Moses, another good example. Forty years preparation in Pharaoh's household. Forty years further preparation in the backside of the desert, tending his father-in-law's sheep. You think, what is all those eighty years for? And when the Lord does appear for, to him in the burning fiery uh, in the bush that didn't consume, then Moses has all sorts of excuses, and he says, "Send by whom thou wilt send." And the Lord was angry with him. Moses, would all that work of preparation be done and then another is going to be sent? Is it not evident that that preparation was for something? Sometimes we cannot tell in our lives. It might be a, just a perplexing thing. Why has this happened? Why have we gone through that? And why are these strange things happening? But we don't know yet what the Lord is preparing us for. Our text says it's a vessel that is prepared unto every good work. In one sense it is prepared unto the good work that God will choose at that time. Maybe it is in, if you use the illustration of a householder and they know that there's many different things they're going to need some very clean vessels for and they take a lot of time, they prepare these vessels and then it comes up what they need to use a clean vessel for. And they say, we'll take that one and we'll take that one and we'll use this one for this and that one for something else. And they've been prepared unto a good work, a clean work. In the Lord's case, of course, he knows exactly. He knew with Moses exactly what he was preparing him unto. There's no doubt in the Lord's mind at all. The same with the Apostle Paul. Saul as he was sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew what he was being prepared for. But he didn't. 
He thought he was doing the Lord's will and favour in hailing men and women to prison. He says that he did it with a clear conscience. But then the Lord met with him and revealed his son to him. And then he immediately was able to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. He already knew the scriptures. But he needed that key to shine upon it. A vessel. A vessel unto honour. A vessel that is ready. It is meet for the master's use. Prepared unto every good work. Here's one test to the people of God. The love of Christ constraineth us. And the desire will be to actually be, instead of the servants of Satan, to be the servants of the Lord. And though we have great struggles and conflicts with sin in our members, and if it was not so, that would be, we'd say, well, why is all the exhortation in the word of God? Why does Paul say, I keep under my body that having preached to others, I myself should be a castaway? Why does he write to the Romans and say, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Because the deeds of the body are strong. He says, the good that I would I do not, the evil that I would not that I do, a wretched man that I am. And the people of God have a constant battle in that way. And the Lord has a constant work with them in chastening correcting, instructing, shepherding and it is his grace, his teaching that makes the difference between them and an unbeliever. Just because one is called by grace doesn't automatically make them a sanctified vessel. They are separated, separated in the purposes of God, in the eternal choice of God and in his calling but in that instruction that he gives them through their lives, that is what we have before us here. That there is a need of instruction, a need of exhortation. Our hearts are hard like the children of Israel. We're so prone to rebel, so prone to walk in ways which will end up, we'll sit there and we'll think, well, why, why was that one of the Lord's people chosen to do that work and not me? And, and why, why did the Lord bless that man's ministry but not mine? And, and, and why did he choose that person to have that post and not me? And the Lord could turn around and say, well, they were sanctified, they were ready for my use but with the things that you've been filling your mind with and how you've been walking how could I use you while you've been trying to cast down a mote out of another brother's eye you've got a beam in yours you better cast that out first 
how many things in the word of God and it comes very close and I would fall under it myself. I feel the need of such exhortations myself. We can get careless and indifferent. Sometimes if we could see that there's a work that we could do, then we think, well, it's, it's worth making that effort. But when the Lord hasn't shown me what he's going to do for my life, then we start to get careless. And yet, as we've seen with Joseph and Moses and many others, Jeremiah, sanctified, set apart from the womb to be a prophet unto the nations, the Lord does a lot of preparation before he then reveals how he's going to use his people, what he's going to use them for. And our part is to listen, listen to the word and to be and seek by God's grace to be a vessel unto honour, sanctified, made for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. All of the exhortations that surround this word, the whole the whole context is like in verse nineteen, departing from iniquity, verse twenty two, fleeing youthful lusts following after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. All the time, it is seeking to walk in an upright, God-glorifying way, crucifying the flesh and the affections thereof. Well, may the Lord grant us that grace and help to heed the word and that we might think of this picture of the vessel. What kind of use is our vessel prepared to be used for? Are we right to bring the word to a seeker? Are we right to speak to those that are on the borders of eternity and dying? Are we right to be able to speak comfort for those in distress or to admonish those that are walking contrary? The Lord has his people that are for the work that he will choose. And our text is a text that speaks of the preparation that he does upon a poor sinner to make them a vessel unto honour, a vessel made for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The Lord bless us with this and may we be able to see maybe some of the hard things the Lord's bringing us through, those lessons that are hard to be learned, that they are needful, needful. And the Lord has a purpose in shaping us and fashioning us and making us to be what he'd have us to be. 
May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.